Mike van der Vivers, co-founder of meeting design agency MindMeeting.org, thinks face-to-face -face meetings are not just desirable, but a biological imperative. However, the shift to virtual has forced organizers to increase the value of their in-person events and take meeting design more seriously. Mike, welcome to Deep Dive. My pleasure. You've been a meeting designer now for how many years? About 20. About 20 years. Mm. And I'm guessing there are still people that might not be totally au fait with the concept of meeting design. So let's start. What do we mean when we talk about meeting design? It's pretty simple. Um, you just make the program. The way um, a web designer makes a web page or a graphics designer makes a corporate brochure. Um, meetings are a form of communication. And so um, like any form of communication, you have people who know how the medium works and what you can achieve with it. And therefore they act as specialists in this field and they can make a good program for you. So is there a difference between a meeting planner or a meeting organizer and a meeting designer or, or is one necessarily the other? Oh yeah, there's, um, in my understanding, there's a big difference. The way I look at it, the meeting organizer is the person who is responsible for having the meeting. It's the person who has the idea that the meeting should take place for some reason or other. The meeting planner is, is the person who knows about how to do it in physical terms, logistically. That's, what, that's where originally they come from. Incredibly good service um, in terms of, you know, um, looking at movements of people, um, of uh, setting up stages, and, and uh, I don't do any of that. What I do is I bring the objectives, the content, and the desires of the participants together and turn that into a meaningful experience for those participants. At the same time, that should accomplish the objectives of the organizer. And the meeting planner is my very, very close partner. We work literally shoulder to shoulder. Has the role of meeting designer then been neglected over the years? Because I'm guessing a lot of conferences make do without. They, uh, unfortunately, they do, yes. So it's, it's hard to say neglected because until, yeah, until maybe the beginning of this century, the whole word didn't exist. Maybe some people were doing this, but nobody knew they were and that they had this particular profession. It's gradually becoming uh, more mainstream, but I don't think it's fully mainstream yet. And I think, yeah, a lot of meetings could do with better design. Do you think there are then therefore some meeting planners who go the extra mile as part of their job who are sort of doing meeting design but don't really recognize it as yeah, such? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, there's, there's lots of um, blurred distinctions between the various roles. Some meeting planners um, are actually much more into the content um, than others. But traditionally, I think the meeting planner is the person who does the logistics. Yeah. And the content, anything that, re that is related to content comes from somewhere else. And actually, this is part of the, um, of the difficulty of making good programs. And why do you think it has taken so long for meeting design to become, if not mainstream, then something that is taken seriously? Uh, because it might seem self-evident that an effective conference with multiple tracks over several days needs to be designed it needs to be coherent 
well thought through and have a sense of story to help delegates retain all that information? I think um, there's, there's several reasons for them, and most of them relate to default behavior. Meetings have, have, have obviously, they have roots in various places. They have roots, for instance, in parliamentary democracy, which is where things like an agenda, um, where Mr. Chairman comes from and things like that. Um, they have a root in the scientific community. Now, strangely enough, the scientific community can be hugely creative when it concerns their particular field of study, but they're hugely conservative where it concerns how they communicate about that field of study. There's another thing about meetings, which is that meetings look suspiciously like a conversation, and they aren't. They are a totally different kind of form of communications. Everybody knows how to do a conversation, unless you're autistic, but many people therefore think that they know how to do a meeting even though, you know, they're, I don't know, cardiologists, lawyers, um, producers of plastic pipes or whatever, they, they think that they understand how meetings work. They haven't been found out a lot yet. And I think that's one of the changes that we're going to see as a result of the pandemic, if, if I may anticipate that part of our conversation. Yeah, that there's somehow the value proposition of a meeting has shifted and, and it won't be good enough just to do this standing at the front of the stage broadcasting. So what well, things do bad meetings have in common then? Are there, are there things that you can turn to again and again and again that people just get wrong? Let me first say that there's a lot of good meetings. There's, there's a lot of things that happen in meetings which are good, which are useful, which are related to the experiences of participants. Um, but there's still a lot to, to be gained. And I think there's, there's, yeah, there's probably three areas where there is a lot to be gained. One is many meetings have very poorly formulated objectives. If these objectives are accomplished or not, is not measured. So there's a lot of um, opportunity to simply make meetings more effective. It's incredible how difficult it is when I talk to organizers, to my clients, um, for them to formulate really clear, measurable objectives. And then nobody measures them. Hardly anybody. I mean, I don't think that we, we know many organizations ourselves who measure the outcomes of their meetings. Probably the only ones are sales meetings. The second one is in the delivery. There is this widespread myth which comes from school days that classroom teaching is the way to transfer knowledge and information. Teaching science has known for decades that it isn't. Yet many meetings persist in having presenters on stage, delivering one presentation after the other, and just assuming that the human brain works like a kind of video recorder, where you can switch on and off. And it's not that simple. Learning is extremely more complicated. So it requires a much more comprehensive understanding of how that works, and then designing um, what happens to, with the participants appropriately. Um, and that is, closely connected with, uh, I think, the third area where there's a lot to be gained, which is human experience. Many meetings are, um, and, and you just ask anybody who goes there, many meetings are dull. Hmm. They're not an interesting, they're not a good experience for people. And I'm not talking about the wow effect, because the wow effect usually is, is empty. It's fireworks and nothing else. Um, I'm talking about meaningful experiences that help people to memorize, because again, we know from, uh, from science that 
powerful experiences are the best way for people to memorize any kind of information. Hmm. So I think those, those are the three areas where I see a lot of potential for improvement, a lot of need for improvement, and a lot of um, application for good meeting design. Just picking up on that, could you give us an example of a learning scenario uh, in a meetings environment that isn't just somebody standing up on a stage uh, broadcasting information? Let, let, let me give you an extreme example. This is a conference on uh, safety at work. And one of the paradigms in the world of safety at work is incidents should be reported. And it's really bad if the people who are involved in an incident don't report about it because we learn from it. Okay. We do a workshop with the people who are responsible for managing safety at work in various part, kinds of organizations. And what we make them do is we give them a kind of obstacle course. And if they make mistakes, in the obstacle course, what they need to do is then lie face down on the floor. We make teams. Each team that makes a mistake, lie face down on the floor and a siren goes off really loud. Okay? Mm -hmm. After a couple of minutes into this, this simulation, they start cheating. They start yeah. not reporting their own mistakes. Telling people you need to report mistakes is one thing experiencing that and seeing that you yourself who are the great advocate of telling people about their mistakes start cheating after a couple of minutes into a stupid game that's a really powerful learning experience does a meeting designer therefore have to have a bit of behavioral science a bit of neuroscience knowledge yeah and, and that is the part where uh, which is related to sort of the individual and i think the the other um thing which is essential that you have to have is uh, insight into how uh, uh, how groups of people work because a meeting is a lot of people together and it's not just the single individual sitting there sure. on their own the power of the of meetings as a form of communication is to offer people a shared experience and, and everybody who's been once to um, a concert of their favorite music uh, music group for instance music band knows how powerful that can be so to what extent can good content negate poor meeting design? If somebody is a great speaker, they're a great speaker, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, how many great speakers do you know? So I think we rely far too heavily on speakers for the communication during meetings. And unfortunately, um, many speakers aren't all that good, but we put them in a position where maybe they're not tapping into their biggest strength, which is their expertise. We're putting them in a situation where they have to perform on a stage um, and, and they think that they, for that they need to make a PowerPoint presentation and things like that. So that's, that's a slightly different angle to your question. Mm. Um, is good content um, a substitute for, uh, for a good program? I don't think it is. I think good content is what, what you start with in order to make a good program. And then you turn that into, as I said earlier, a meaningful experience for your participants. So you, you touched earlier on the on the shift to virtual. How has the pandemic changed the role of the meeting designer? So first, there were no meetings at all. And, and still, there are hardly any meetings. I think if we look at the, the midterm, um, there's a lot of change that we're going to see. People have, have, have seen that you can achieve a lot through a screen. And there's also a lot of things that you can't achieve through a screen. 
I think the, the, the added value of people getting physically together has to be bigger compared to tradi more traditional meetings. So what I'm seeing already starting is that people are now asking me, can you design online experiences? To some extent you can, but they will never be as powerful as live experiences. They can be different, they can be good, they can, be, they can have additional um, useful outcomes, which maybe you can't achieve by means of physical meetings, but physical meetings will have something special. Hmm. Now, if we want to have that something special, those programs really need to be good. They need to be designed appropriately, capitalizing on the fact that people are in, in, in the same physical spot. So could this be a moment for meeting design and meeting designers, a sort of golden age? I'd love that. Um, not sure. Um, I think there's going to be fewer meetings. I think there's going to be an integration between people sitting at various places and getting together some way or other, as in multipod or multi-location meetings. So I think the, there's going to be much bigger variety in types of meetings um, where people try to accomplish some kind of objective. I do think that that will require more careful design. So yeah, it's, it's almost a bit as if uh, the pandemic is going to help meetings to come of age. What does hybrid mean to you? I think it'll become clear in due course, like the way meeting design became clear. And to me, it means that you, uh, hybrid means you have some people being physically present together in some spot and others are somewhere else. And by means of technology, they connect. Mm, simple as that. To me, that, that's what a hybrid meeting is, yes. So therefore, would streaming a few sessions count as, as hybrid or, or does there have to be a sort of some kind of extra value for people watching online? It would, but it's poor design. That would be my take on it. I don't think it's a very meaningful experience for people to sit at home and, uh, and just watch the speaker on stage. And again, unless that speaker is very good, you can gain some, some information from it, but you can do a lot more and a lot better than that. Mm. So is the aim to create a kind of synergy almost between the online event and the in-person event or right. is there a danger well, there that so you might the, dilute? One of the big advantages of, of anything that you do online is that potentially you have a much greater uh, audience. A great advantage of having a much bigger audience is that you have a much more diversity uh, of views, much more wealth of know-how, which you can tap into for your meeting. So is it very useful to reduce your online participants um, to just um, a passive audience who are watching a streamed session of your, uh, of your conference? I think it's a great waste of, the, of opportunity. You can tap into an even bigger um, wealth of knowledge. So, you know, the, the, the famous um, idea of um, the wisdom of crowds becomes even more relevant yeah. your crowd is bigger which automatically means there is more know-how and probably there's more wisdom i've been um a participant in some hybrid events where there is a the live in-person event uh in the plenary room for example and a moderator or a facilitator taking questions um from the online audience mm -hmm. where what's happened is that the online audience have be, have been the most active and they have 
flooded the uh, moderator with questions, whereas the in-person crowd have almost sort of sat back. That was an interesting dynamic, and I wonder why that happened. It was almost as though the in-person um, delegates felt almost absolved of responsibility. They could just leave it to the online people to, to flood, mm. the, uh, flood, flood in with the questions. Why do you think that happened? Is there some kind of interesting psychology behind that, do you think? Well, first of all, there's more of them. Of the uh, of the online uh, audience, probably so. That's mm. good. Um, the other reason is that for um, let's say at least fifty percent of the population, it's easier to ask a question online than it is to ask a question live. Sure. And maybe not fifty percent. I'm, I'm just reverting to the introverts. Mm. You know, if you're a really introverted person, you just don't go and stand up. In, in a public situation, walk over to a microphone after you sat for 30 minutes in the dark, um, being talked to by somebody who told you how the world works. Mm. That's a really high threshold. So there's something think, about the conference room as well, isn't there sometimes where it's dark? I mean, the whole yeah. setting is kind of um, conducive to just sitting there in a kind of snug little cozy bubble and just letting somebody right. else do it, right? So you leave it to other people. Very good, now you've got the online crowd, they'll do it. Yeah. So it's a kind of social loafing. Yeah, social loafing, I like that. Yeah, it is. It's kind of, um, it's allowing others to do the work, isn't it? The heavy lifting. And, and, and um, as soon as you see that, that the online crowd are becoming active, if you are one of the online crowd, of course, you have an incentive to contribute as well. Mm. And we've become much more use, used to the idea that if we are in also sometimes smaller settings um, to um, use the screen for asking questions. Many people just have a, a side conversation in the chat box while a meeting is going on. So I think the, the threshold has become lower and it's, and it's an unexpected effect. I wouldn't have, if anybody had asked me beforehand, I wouldn't have predicted it. But now that it's happening, I see there's quite a bit of logic behind it. Mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So having, with, with that in mind, um, and this better be our, our final question looking at the time, but are you optimistic um, about the future of face-to-face -face events? When do you think they might return to anything like pre-COVID levels? How do you look to the next 12, 24 months? So I, I have um, um, an ambiguous message in that respect. I'm optimistic in the sense that um, I think face-to-face -face is absolutely vital. There's a lot of things that we will never be able to do um, as well as in face-to-face -face online, leaving aside the fact that there's a number of things that we can do online better than in face-to-face. -face. So those two need to be integrated. But I'm optimistic because I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm by, a biologist by training. Hmm. I, I believe in evolution. I believe that human beings um, are a social species. We, we don't live like tigers on our own in the jungle. We need to live together with other people. We need other people. We need to interact live directly in, in physical contact with other people. We crave that, we'll need it, we're gonna do it again. But it won't be the same as before. Because at the same time, um, for a number of objective reasons, like you know availability of flights, cost of flights perhaps, we won't be traveling as much as we did in the past. So I see a much more varied landscape for uh, the future of meetings. Um, in, in, in it's much similar to, to what we discussed earlier on, integrating all kinds of different ways in which people can interact 
um, hopefully based on much clearer objectives from the people who want those meetings and a much clearer idea of what their participants would like to get out of it. Mm. Mike, that has been a really, really enjoyable deep dive. Um, thank you very much. Thanks, James. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity.